housing to the aged action group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. You're listening to Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show here on 3CR. My name is Shane and I'm here with Fiona. How's it going? Hey, Shane. Hey. The um, last Friday had organised a panel called the At Risk Forum. Um, and we're going to hear some excerpts from that this week and maybe in some of the, the shows to come. Um, Fiona, what was the At Risk Forum and, and how did it go? So it was an online forum that came from something that we did last year um, where we had a bunch of people talking about the report that came out about older women being at risk of homelessness. And this year we wanted to change the focus from being just about awareness raising towards action. So what people can actually do to influence their decision makers and the politicians to actually do something real and tangible about older women and homelessness. Um, so the forum um, was online and we had, we're going to hear today from a couple of people, older women who spoke about their own experiences. And also it started with a, pol um, a political panel, um, which we're also going to hear a little bit from today as well. So who's the first person that we're going to hear? Um, so the first person is Linda Hahn. She is a lived experience advocate from Brisbane, and she's going to talk about her experience of being homeless and at risk of homelessness. All right, let's hear from Linda. The issue of homelessness for older woman, women is one that has been under, under the radar until pretty recently, but it is still largely a hidden problem. To help us understand these issues better, it's time to hear from Linda Hahn, a lived experienced advocate. Linda is based in Brisbane and is actively engaged in advocating for the housing needs of older women in Queensland via the Housing Older Women Movement, HOW, H-O-W. Thanks so much, Linda. Thank you, Karen, and thank you everyone for the opportunity to tell my story of housing stress and homelessness. As you listen, please remember I am just one of over 400,000 older women in Australia who face the daily challenges and ongoing trauma that arise through not having a safe, secure and affordable home. This forum is geared to move us from awareness to action. These women need solutions now. And that is why we formed the Housing Older Women Movement. My story. I started buying my first house at age 19 and have owned homes in the UK and Australia. So I never imagined I would experience homelessness. Only when I discovered I was not the only one that this had happened to, did I stop feeling ashamed of my situation. I've come to realize that my experience is not my fault nor due to poor choices, but rather the inevitable result of systemic, economic and societal factors which increase women's vulnerability to homelessness. Older women are generally the invisible homeless who quietly struggle to get through each day, not yet often visibly homeless on the streets, but only a step away from that. 
It could happen to any woman you know, your mother or grandmother, your sister, aunt, co-worker, your friend or neighbor. I have predominantly worked in community-based organizations where pay is lower than in other sectors. Some positions have been part-time and I've taken career breaks to raise my family, care for my elderly relatives, and I now provide childcare for my granddaughter. Historically, society has relied predominantly on women to undertake these unpaid carer roles, which in turn impact on our capacity to build a secure economic platform for our later life. Nonetheless, I thought I was on track for a comfortable retirement until at age 53, the persistent and unresolved stresses of my job managing a disability advocacy service stopped me in my tracks and I was signed off work by my GP. I was literally burnt out. I had nothing left and was overwhelmed with fatigue, swiftly followed by depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. The deterioration in my mental health impacted on my relationship and two difficult years later, I packed my car and returned to my support network in Brisbane. And that is when my homeless journey began. I survived three years of temporary insecure housing, making 18 moves in those three years. I moved between living with friends and with my son and daughter-in-law, spells of house sitting, staying in B&Bs and caravan parks and informal rentals found on Gumtree. It felt like an unending cycle of unnerving dislocation and it exacted an even bigger toll on my life because you never feel settled or peaceful when you've no security about where you're staying. You can't plan, you can't focus, and you can't get your life back on track. My life had literally fallen apart. I'd lost my health, my job, my marriage, and my home. I recalled images of Humpty Dumpty and the nursery rhyme in pieces on the ground. That was how I felt, shattered and in pieces, and I couldn't imagine how I was ever gonna put myself back together again. Those were some of my darkest days when I felt constantly exhausted and experienced feelings of desperation, literally not wanting to wake up in the morning. So what you see today, 11 years later, is a version of Humpty, just about together again, but there are still cracks, and it doesn't take much for them to reopen. A word about how I've managed financially. When I returned to Brisbane, I had just $30,000 in superannuation and some savings, but no income, and I was nowhere near well enough to work. Two years later, my share of the property settlement was not enough for me to buy, so I added it to my super and set up an income stream which has sustained me, but I'm spending it down quickly in paying private rental that's more than 30% of my income. For health reasons, I haven't been able to meet mutual obligation requirements, but I've recently been assessed to go on the disability employment scheme, so I now receive JobSeeker. Aussies have many wonderful phrases, one of which is, she'll be right, but no, she'll not be right unless things change. Awareness has to be followed by action. Addressing the housing crisis is simply the right thing to do, 
no older woman should face homelessness in Australia. Let's act together to ensure that... You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Older women in Australia will be right. Thank you. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. You're listening to Raise the Roof on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. We just heard from Linda Hahn, and now we're about to hear from Penny Lemus, who is also a lived experience advocate. She was part of a political panel, um, and after we hear from her, you'll hear Karen, who was the MC for the day, and then um, Tanya Plibersek, Zali Stegel, and Larissa Waters from the Greens, um, who are all going to talk about their response to some of the issues that have been raised by um, Linda and Penny to our um, final speaker in this particular panel, which is Penny Lemus. Uh, Penny's a social justice activist who lives in the ACT and is one of the many older women who have found themselves homeless. She's now a passionate lived experience advocate on behalf of women. Welcome, Penny. Thank you, Karen, and thank you to our other speakers. Um, so for 12 years, I lived as an owl amongst you. Owls are what older women who are lost in housing are known as. Like hundreds of thousands of other women aged 45 and over who are single and do not or will not own their own home by the age of retirement, I walked amongst you. Hidden, voiceless, human collateral damage. Blatant, gender and systemic inequality drove me to the premises of homelessness. The circumstances that brought me to this position were created by tragedy of commons one that is impacting ours at an escalating rate. As we've heard, solutions are possible, available and sustainable. Policy reform across government, addressing women's current superannuation inequity and building an adequate supply of public and social housing are needed now, not tomorrow, now. Women in this cohort, age 45 and over, have experienced across their lifespan, casual low paid employment with little or no superannuation gender pay disparity, under and unemployment as a result of caring responsibilities, relationship breakdown, family violence, job loss, acquisition of an illness or a disability, superannuation deficits in relation to cost of housing, home ownership and low retirement savings and minimal pension payments, gender inequality and no policy response to the housing issue of secure, affordable, accessible housing options has led them right up the path to no home. And it will happen to the next generation. We are literally the collateral damage of systemic gender inequality and inadequate affordable housing supply. I was one of the canteen mums of my generation. Contributing to Australian society, socially, economically and community, helping sustain it not paid, not recognised, not valued, still doing. I volunteered for our children's school and raised my own children as well as other people's cared for others in the community, worked part-time in casual jobs, no super, no financial security, but a big heart. 
no access to superannuation. In my 30s, I was able to work full time and able to access superannuation. Several years later, I had an accident and sustained a significant and permanent disability. Unemployable, not disabled, a person with a disability. In 2004, a relationship breakdown and minimal financial settlement meant that I couldn't afford to purchase my own home. Rent can quickly consume my finances. Like so many hours, I found myself living in rooms, renting a house that was untenable, unsafe, unaffordable. The pension is not sufficient for basic living expenses. I didn't recognise I was in that position until I had nowhere to go. Up and then, until then, I managed myself, as we do, renting a room in a house or finding inappropriate housing. I moved seven times in 12 years. The cost of moving is prohibitive. The mental and emotional toll is excruciating. Each time I moved, I lost the connections I'd made, my friendships, my community, my essential physical supports. Because of the lack of affordable housing, I was forced to move states twice leaving behind my children and my grandchildren, forced from one turbulence to another. I moved to a bigger city in the hope of obtaining affordable housing. It was a fallacy. The situation was worse. Disruptive, insecure and a constant undercurrent of fear, anxiety became my normal way of existing. I didn't have anywhere to go. I went to my GP and it was a really low point, the lowest I've ever been. And I faced some challenges in my life. This was the worst. She suggested a case manager or a psychologist. Didn't need a case manager. I don't need a psychologist. I needed a service that would link me in with an affordable, secure, accessible housing option. The majority of ours have led conventional lives. And for them, homelessness is their first time experience. Additionally, many have never dealt with a service organisation in their past until they are homeless. Many of the women I speak with are reluctant to even access a service, let alone know where one exists. I applied for public housing and was told I'd be 65 or over before I'd be offered anything. I was in my early 50s. Again, I moved three times in three years. Renting a room is not a home. There is a shame and an embarrassment experienced by ours. Many feel helpless, hopeless and powerless. Suicide ideation is a common thread. My pride diminished to nothing. Each move, each loss of connection, every realisation of poverty eroded my sense of worth, my place in my Australian society. We will not be collateral damage. We will not be silent. We demand our right to policy reform for our generation, for our daughters, our granddaughters, the daughters and the sisters of Australia. Thank you. Thank you, Penny Lemus. Um, a, a really powerful, moving speech of what it's like to be in a situation where you really don't know when you might feel secure in your own home again, or if you might feel secure. Penny, um, I want to actually put our first question to you, if you're still around. Yeah. Having listened to what you've listened to so far, what's the one key practical change that would make the biggest difference to your situation and that 400-odd thousand women over 45 who might find themselves in your situation? 
the one key thing at the moment would be social housing and public housing, an increase in social and public housing. That, that's at the top of the tree. The other things are fundamental and fall beneath that. But at the moment, given the extent of the crisis, housing is needed now. Penny, you have real thoughts about the stigmatising of Australia, uh, particularly older women. Tell me, how do we change the narrative and, and get political leaders to understand that they actually need to, you know, maybe you just need to pay women 20%, 15%. What's the pay gap? Maybe you just need to pay women. What are your thoughts, Penny, on how this can be uh, a, a, a rectified? I think there's a number of factors that play into that. Um, and I think there's a complete lack of recognition by the current government that, that women are just not, they're able to get a job, then they can go off and access in an emergency job seeker or any other form of whatever benefit might be available at that time. I think when you're talking about the stigma, a lot of that has to do with our sense of pride. And as women, we are so socialised to be polite, to be nice, to ask for things, rather than accept that that's our basic right and our due as part of society. Um, and I think in terms of dressing, addressing the pay gap, the women are most likely to be the ones taking on the caring roles. We hear now all the women who are coming out saying that during lockdown in particular, they're doing homeschooling, they're trying to juggle work as well. So that already they're at a disadvantage. Those factors all need to be con considered and taken into account. Thank you. Larissa, we know ageism is alive and well. Just ask any 50 plus woman mm. who's applying for a job or even applying um, to rent a house. How do you address the challenges of both ageism and homelessness amongst mm. older women when clearly we've got a whole lot of blokes in our federal parliament who don't want to listen? Well, we need to start having a few less old white guys running the show in parliament. <laughs> And having a lot more women in parliament, a lot more people um, that genuinely represent our community. So diversity across all of the different measures. Um, we might get some more lived experience then that could actually deliver policies that, that uh, address the real situation so many uh, women and Australians are living in. So yeah, first things first, let's, let's fix the representation in our parliament. But um, Penny spoke really powerfully and I agree with everything she said about the fact that women's economic security is what is underlying or lack of is what is underlying um, the homelessness uh, predicament that so many of us are facing. We need to close that gender pay gap. We need to make sure that a lifetime of care doesn't result in retirement in poverty like it does at the moment. That's our reward for caring for firstly our kids and then often our elderly parents is uh, we retire into poverty. And if you don't already own your home, um, by the time you get to the age pension, um, there are more than half of people on the pension that don't own their home who are technically in poverty. Um, so we need to lift job seeker. It is below the poverty rate. It is not helping people to find work. It is punishing them. Um, we need to lift the minimum wage and we could legislate to do that. Sadly, that, that would disproportionately affect women. Um, I know that's normally independently managed, but I think there's a role for the parliament to step in and fix that because at the moment the poverty crisis is getting worse. COVID has made it worse. And as you've identified, it's gotten worse for women um, because we've naturally been the ones that are expected to pick up the burden of the extra uh, domestic care, look after the kids when schools have been closed, somehow juggle work at the same time. I'm sure many of us have had to, uh, to face that, some with more support than others. 
So there are these policy settings that can fix all of this. And if we fix women's economic security, then we can start to address what's driving um, that push towards homelessness. Tanya, I know you wanted to have something to say, but I'm also wondering yeah. whether you can weigh in a little on, you know, what's needed for income support for women. Why can't we just pay women yeah. the, the gender gap? Why don't we just do that? Yeah, well, well, we can. We can reduce the gender pay gap by changing our industrial relations system. We've seen wages flatlining for the last eight years because collective bargaining uh, has, you know, lost its lost its place and, and in our industrial relations system. So we need to we need to change IR. Uh, we need to have more transparency. We need to address the gender pay gap. We've got policies to do that. We need to address the super pay gap. We need got policies to do that. But I just want to take it back a level. One of the reasons that we're talking about these unequal taxation benefits and so on is because Australia is no longer uh, a country that does proper gender analysis in its budget papers. We used to lead the world in looking at how tax measures impact women and men differently, how social security measures impact men and women differently, how IR measures impact men and women differently, this government doesn't do that anymore. And so they've got like, I don't know, four different ministers that have got women in their title um, because they had this kind of political problem uh, a while ago, you know, women didn't like them very much. But what you need is a whole system that it, with every decision that goes to the cabinet, the question is asked, what is the gender impact of this decision? How does it affect men and women differently? And, and then you ask yourself, okay, if there is a differential impact, are we still going to do it this way? So one example is tax cuts uh, at the top end versus a low income uh, um, taxation offset that is targeting people on the lowest incomes. Well, we know that the, the second thing has a much better impact um, uh, uh, on women or for women than tax cuts at the top end. That's why you would choose, you're gonna spend a billion dollars on tax cuts, you choose to do it this way, not that way. It, it's, it's, not it's not complex, it's actually about will. Great, thank you. Um, Zali, the pandemic has made it pretty clear that there's votes in supporting tradies and big business. How can older women make their vote count? Do they have to go marginal like uh, Warringah or do a really aggressive campaign on the ground? How do you make your well, vote look, count as an older woman? I, you have to vote, you make your vote count. I mean, everyone's vote needs to count on a lot of issues. Um, and ironically, you know, if I, my, my pet one of climate change is ironically a massive one that will impact women around the world, especially in developing nations. Um, absolutely. Uh, and, and I think you have to be smart about looking at policies and how they're going to be impacted. Um, but look, it's not, obviously your vote counts. We need more women in parliament because I think uh, if you're not at the table, you're not going to be discussing it. And I think uh, there's nothing like like uh, I think too many, uh, it, when they're structuring programs, it's just not front of mind. Two really real examples we have at the moment was um, job, well, job keeping in, in lockdown was really not well adjusted for casual workforces and that impacted mostly women. So women, especially households, for example, where second income earner might have been the, the woman on a casual employment because maybe earning caps and things like that was not able to access JobKeeper. So it was like a message that your second income of that, your family is not the important income here. You don't need to support that. Um, 
the the closed border policy that immediate family for example parents for when women are having childbirth so women are needing to time out take time out of their careers to have children need the support of family now i don't think the blokes have appreciated the importance of that because they're not physically having to do it uh, somehow around cabinet and as a result again it's women in those situations that are taking a hit because they're having to choose between their health their personal health their career prospects and and their caring responsibilities so there's many times where these issues come around and you just need more women around the table so you do have to vote women into parliament and it's why i'm here i was frustrated i think we're all in furious agreement about that there's been in the chat some discussion about um people wanting to see politicians work together. And it's great. You know, I think there's a lot of furious agreement amongst the three politicians we've got here. Tanya, I want to put to you, um, if there is a change of government, if Labor is elected, what will you do to connect across parties, uh, across benches, to ensure that there is multi-partisan support and that uh, there is sort of layers, uh, that, that you're not having the layers of, of oh, well, this isn't my responsibility, yours. What will you do? Uh, well, I think I work pretty well with both Larissa and Zali and uh, with a lot of the crossbench. Um, I, I can't pretend that uh, that um, I can convince the Liberals to invest in housing at a federal level, though, because my, my experience of being the housing minister is when we wanted to spend billions of dollars building public housing in Liberal electorates, they set up community groups to oppose the building of public housing in those electorates. And uh, I mean, to be really honest with you, Larissa, the million house thing is a fantastic idea. I love it. But there were green groups. There was one I ran into in Kiama that vociferously opposed the public housing being built in Kiama. Um, so the, you, you can't pretend there's always going to be agreement about this stuff. All I can say is judge us on our record. We did it when we're in government. We've already got money on the table to do it again. I, I, I love working with independents and the crossbench if we possibly can. I hope the Liberals will come on board this time. That'd make a nice change. I'm going to go to Penny again. Penny, again, you, you've been listening, paying attention. Um, got some thoughts? Do you have any questions you want to quickly put to our panellists here? I'm putting you all on the spot. but Okay, so I put out the plea and it wasn't an ask. It's a demand. Work together. I know there'll be intricacies, and I think we need to address some of the issues around stigmatisation, stereotyping. Really, it's not that hard. I think all those points that have been made about women need to be more in politics, yes, I do. Well, if they're not actually there, invite us to the table. There's lots of advocates out there. I want to do a quick whip around. Thank you so much, Penny. Your contribution today has been absolutely fabulous, um, as was Linda's earlier. Uh, yeah, I think I'm um, just want to. I do want a quick whip around to our um, political guests here. Very quick answers, if you can, because we've only got a couple of minutes. Uh, one of our asks today of our audience is to contact their MPs, to contact, to try and put some political pressure on. What works? What's going to make you stand up and take? Um, I'm going to go with you, Zali, because you're the top of my screen. Very quick, please. <laughs> Uh, look, I get a lot. If I could give you tw about 23% of the cases that have come through my office have been um, older women needing assistance around Centrelink and things. So we are actively trying to help a high proportion of my staff are, are older women. Um, so we um, we are absolutely focused on the issue. Um, a, a huge amount of actually my team is. So 
absolutely right to me. Uh, we do need the lived experience. We need the feedback to know, uh, you know, how to advocate. I'm not, I'm an independent. I'm not a party. So I am absolutely here to represent my community. So I need the, my community to really put forward the, the solutions. But also there is a lot of uh, proactive people in my community that are looking uh, at the issues and looking for solutions. So I right. do believe we need to take the politics out of it and make it more community-based. Larissa Waters, quickly, what influences you and your office? Well, we don't need much convincing, I'm afraid, because we're already signed up to equality and providing homes for everyone that needs it. But my tips for how to convince others uh, to uh, be stronger on these issues would be tell them that you will change your vote if they don't change their policy to address the issue that you're facing and share your story. We heard from Linda and we've heard from Penny. It, it can't not get you in the heart to listen to these women um, who could be any of us and through no fault of their own are now facing homelessness. So that's powerful. Share your story and let the person you're writing to know that this matters so much to you that you won't vote for anyone that isn't going to address this issue meaningfully. Tanya Pligaset, quickly. Yeah, I email, write, phone, visit, go to street stalls, come to the events, tell your story, talk, talk to members of parliament and, um, and, and actually be prepared to vote on because uh, I've got to say, um, it, I think this is one of the most critical issues facing Australia today. For older homeless women we're talking about today, the next generation of young Australians, God knows whether any of them will ever be able to afford a home of their own unless we get this right. So today you've heard from a few of the speakers from the at-risk forum that HAG organised last week. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with HAG, uh, either to be more involved in some of the sort of political activities that we've been talking about, some of the organising, uh, some of the yeah, uh, campaigning and policy work, you can give us a call on 9654 7389. Uh, if you are an older Victorian with a housing issue yourself who'd like to get some advice or get some help, uh, something more practical, uh, you can give us a call on 1300. 765178. Uh, that again is 1300 765 178. You can find HAG on Twitter and Facebook. You can check out our website, oldtenants.org.au. Fiona, is there anything that you want to say as we wrap up this fantastic episode? No, I think just tune in next fortnight to hear more from the At Risk Forum and you can jump online at oldertenants.org.au and um, get involved in the discussion. Uh, so we're going to finish it. We're going to leave you with a song, of course. This is Self-Care Sunday by Clary Brown, fantastic local artist. Thanks very much for listening. Bye. Bye. Yeah.